We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye, and back again, Jack Manuel. How you doing, Jack? I missed you for that one show. Very, very disappointed in you and Corey Nick that you <laughs> spent eight minutes on Joe Harris crossing up Luka Doncic. I know it was at least the you know the tweet got plenty of hype. But talking about what, tweets and Twitter in general, just a quick shout out to Jack at OTG Basketball. We're doing a giveaway, a gift package, you know, a ton of NBA gear for free. We hit 1K retweets. We're going to give that out to somebody. So make sure you check out the page at OTG Basketball. Time. Yeah. So, but uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I know I didn't want to ruin, ruin your Joe Harris moment, but I don't know if you heard Joe after that. He was like, you know, he just kind of lost his footing and was off balance. Humble Joe. He is so humble. He is so beautiful. We're going to have like <laughs> a segment coming up for the live uh, outlet and uh, there'll be Joe Harris featured aplenty. But um, I mean, it's a, it's a Brooklyn Buzz podcast and, and I'm on it. So of course, we're going to speak about Joe Harris for the first couple of minutes. Yes, he deserves it too. You know, another solid performance tonight and talking about that. You no, know, it wasn't necessarily the prettiest win, but the Nets pulled off the W, 113-107 against a Cavs team that tends to just make the Nets work. Yeah, it seems to be the case, you know, obviously that, was it quadruple or triple? Yeah, I think yeah, it was triple. Yeah. that's how I started my vacation in Florida, yeah, it was, was just... a, a game that wouldn't end. Absolutely wild, um, but tonight it seemed to me that there were some signs that the Nets are on the right track, Nick. What were some of those? I think the major positive of this game was there was just stretches of the game where, you know, the Nets big three or their big three guards, you know, D'Lo, Dinwiddie, and Levert all kind of had their moments. You know, D'Lo really started the game hot, had a couple really nice defensive possessions in this game, getting tips, steals, and whatnot. Dinwiddie kind of finished it in the fourth quarter. He pretty much, anytime he isolated on a Cavs big or any type of Cavs defender in general, he got to the rim and got a good shot. And Karras really sparked that run that got them back to having a lead early in that fourth quarter. You know, some good defensive play, a couple drives 
shots to the rim. So I think overall the positives were the duos playing together. We didn't really see much of all three of them, but at points it was D'Lo and Levert. It was Dinwiddie and Levert. It was uh, the finish, D'Lo and Dinwiddie. So I think that's the major positive sign, you know, having Dinwiddie score 28 and D'Lo score 25. Ten threes between them. Ten threes. I mean, we, we spoke about how when Kalsavert hits that three, you know, it's going to be popping. You know, ten of the twelve threes that we scored tonight out of those three guys, our our key trio, uh, so to speak. But Nick, you, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but how are they sort of utilized in terms of the rotation throughout the night? Yeah, I think Kenny did a good job of, other than the starting lineup, you know, to start the first quarter and start the third quarter, you saw pretty much two of the three on the floor together at all times. And I think that's kind of what Kenny should be doing. You know, if he wants to stick with the starting lineup for the first five or six minutes and then throw, you know, Dinwiddie in there to play with D'Lo a little bit and then swap out D'Lo, put in Levert, I think that's the way to go. Because having two of those guys on the floor at all times just gives the Nets so many options. And if a team switches, it's easier for them to kind of find that mismatch. And we saw that a lot tonight. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of that starting lineup, second night in a row um, with that this new sort of formation, um, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think the, you know, Rodion starting is obviously the biggest plus so far, and I thought he did a good job holding his own against Kevin Love, who did put up numbers, but Rodion's definitely attacked him a little bit. His three ball wasn't falling, but he still had an impact on the game. Seven rebounds, and some of those scrappy plays. You know, Alan Crabb, I think getting him the starting lineup is trying to build confidence. At times, you can still kind of see some of the issues, D'Lo being the only ball handler out there, and it's just reliant so much on three-point shooting, and neither Crabb or Harris really shot well from three tonight, so it made it a little bit tougher, but Jared Allen was able to kind of dominate in the first half of the game second half of the game he got in a little bit of foul trouble but i think the starting lineup is okay i don't think it's going to lock in for the rest of the season but probably for the next next couple weeks before the postseason yeah we'll certainly keep an eye on that space and, and speaking of rodion's him and Karras led the team in plus minus at plus nine so uh, rodion's continued to do great things even though i will have to ask you about this nick larry drew <laughs> obviously you retweeted the video apparently doesn't know who he is now if you don't know who like you mentioned, a guy in the Rising Stars Challenge, a guy starting for a playoff team. Um, I don't think anyone knows who half of your team is, bro. So I, I think you should, what is it, throw stones in the pebbles? Uh, I, I don't know the metaphor. I'm not good at this. I, I, I'm a teacher. Throw stones in a glass house or something like that. That's <laughs> the one. But um, yeah, what were your thoughts on Larry Drew before we uh, move on? It just, you can't throw shade at him. I thought that Rudy. was just em embarrassing. Like, I don't know if he was joking or trying to be funny, but if, if he's not joking, that's like terrible. That's like despicable as an NBA coach to not know who he is. It's not like Rodion's, like I said in that tweet, he played close to a thousand minutes. I think it was like 960. And then after tonight, it's like 988 or something like that. So to not know who he is, it's just like, did you do any type of scouting and watch their last game where you're just like, all right, we're going to go in this game. We're going to do a couple things. I know he didn't play the last game against Cleveland, but you should still know who he is, especially because he was in that Rising Stars game. Like, did you not watch All-Star Weekend at all? Yeah, Larry Drew ain't going to have a job going forward. We don't care about him. We'll speak about our Nets. We'll focus on our boy, Rody. And speaking of him, Nick, obviously you mentioned uh, a little bit there that Kevin Love was still able to be productive in his minutes. You know, was he's always he always is going to be, even uh, after the injury. He's a, a tremendous player and has tremendous talent in terms of rebounding and scoring. But what did you think of Rody being used on him throughout the night? Yeah, I thought Rody did a good job. You know, he just brings that energy and that scrappiness. Also, one thing I like, especially moving forward, is his switchability. You know, he could guard Kevin Love. He was on Nance a little bit. He could switch into some of the guards. I just like the athleticism, and I really love when he drives. You know, I think he's going to get more confident as we kind of finish off the season, especially going to next year. Those long strides to the rim are just going to be so important and get him so many easy shots for his career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's only onwards and upwards for a guy like him. And the way that uh, I believe Coach Kenny said in the post game, 
he sort of reacted to to the minutes reduction sort of being taken out of the lineup here and there. It shows some real maturity from a guy who, you know, has barely played basketball in the past few years that like we've spoken about uh, at length. But moving on to a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick, uh, I believe there was a few people who were sort of retweeting your uh, predictions in terms of who would get the most points. And uh, Spencer did end up uh, winning out. Uh, what was his game like? Yeah, like I said earlier, just a quick note on Rodion's. Kenny kind of referred to it as him being the starting forward. So moving forward, we should expect Rodion at that four spot. But back to Spencer, like I was saying earlier, any ISO situation, he just killed the Cavs. You know, some of their help defense was bad, but he was able to kind of blow past anybody on the court and get to the rim. You know, he started to knock down his three late in that game too. The Nets really miss Spencer and his downhill ability, especially when Karras is fully back in sync, having two guys that can go downhill, attack the rim, and get to the free throw line is going to be huge. It's so, it's so important to our identity. And just looking at some of the highlights, and, and obviously on your Twitter, at OTG Nick Scene, just the, the, so many different plays from Spencer. And it just gives us so much more versatility uh, offensively. You know, just spreads the floor in so many different ways. And, you know, you're looking for a bucket. You put the ball in, in Spencer or Karras or Delo's hands, you know, rather than sort of put, forcing the pressure onto a guy like Delo so consistently. Uh, it's just making us so much more dangerous, despite the fact that we weren't, um, you know, amazing tonight from from the looks of it. But Nick, what was it in that sense that sort of you know the Nets had leads at points? You know, the Cavs came back. Um, it was a sort of grind out win. What didn't the Nets do well? You know, to have a sort of this sort of blowout win, which is what I guess a lot of teams would expect against a Cavaliers team. I think, you know, one thing that stuck out, Kevin Love being on that team and actually playing tonight, they are a better team with Kevin Love. Like, he's still, yeah. you know, an all-star caliber player. But first quarter, the Nets played hard, good energy. Second and third quarter, they did not do that. Fourth quarter, they picked it back up and brought the intensity. So, like, a couple things that stuck out. You know, free throw shooting was pretty bad tonight. I think they missed 11 free throws. Turnover-wise, they start the game well. The second quarter with just two. And then as the game progressed, they just got careless with the ball. It's almost like they went up on this team. and They're like, all right, the Cavs aren't that great. We can kind of have a little bit of fun. Instead of just locking in and kind of putting them down you know they faced the Mavs and they blew them out crazy but the Mavs were just absolutely terrible in that game the Cavs played with some heart tonight yeah and I mean a lot of these teams are we've seen the Phoenix Suns go on some runs beating the bloody Lakers and freaking Bucks so it's gonna happen um but you just need to be able to, to show the maturity show the sort of level of composure to sort of just get that W but um just looking at throughout this rotation and, and the minutes allocation just looking at the box score now it seems to me like it's probably what's going to be likely. You know, you've got Joe Harrison, D'Angelo Russell leading the team in minutes. Spencer Dinwiddie third with 30 plus as well. And then Karis Levert, you know, with 20, obviously those minutes could likely increase. But, you know, this nine-man rotation with Davis, Carroll, Dinwiddie and Levert off the bench, is it the one that we're likely to see for the rest of the season? Obviously, there might be changes within that starting lineup, like you mentioned. But is this the core nine uh, as we head into the hopeful playoff uh, playoff race? In my eyes, this would be it. This is what I would roll with. Maybe you sprinkle in some other guys when necessary. You need a boost. Maybe you throw in Shabazz. Maybe you need defense. You throw in uh, Trevion or Rondé or something. But for the most part, I think this nine-man rotation is what Kenny should roll with for the rest of the season, especially you get a lot of these guys and get their chemistry right. Because believe it or not, like a lot of the combinations just haven't had a ton of minutes on the floor. You know, Crab missed a lot of time. Dinwiddie missed a lot of time. Levert missed a lot of time. So getting guys minutes together is important. Oh, absolutely. Chemistry is absolutely everything. And we've got it at, at, at a decent enough time that we can sort of integrate those players in different ways. And and the results are starting to show somewhat. Obviously, it's going to uh, be with bigger tests coming forward, you know, against the Hawks and, and Detroit. But, you know, the Nets are still hanging around and uh, they're funnily enough, you know, tied in terms of the loss column. 
um, with the Pistons, but obviously they've got a couple of games in hand with us. So we'll be jostling with them for sure for that sixth spot. And um, that's going to be a, a really key pivotal game going forward. But as long as we make it, Nick, because uh, the flights are booked, I'm going to keep repeating that the flights are booked. So I've got to get over there and we need to save that money. Um, but yeah, certainly keeping an eye out on, you know, the teams like the Hornets and the Heat and the Magic going forward. Hopefully all the other teams around them can uh, that are, are coming up against them can, can knock them out because uh, it just makes that a little bit easier for us. But before we do finish this one, Nick, um, I, I think the thing that's been going around quite a bit, and I think somewhat started or maybe um, somewhat started for, by the OTG basketball account, the most improved player race. Uh, D'Angelo Russell wants it. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie couldn't get it last season. Um, I uh, betrayed him and Nets fans <laughs> by by picking Pascal Siakam. Um, obviously, what are your thoughts on D'Lo for most improved? I actually thought Spencer made a really good case. Like the fact is, last year the player who improved the most really wins the award because you can make the argument. You know, Dinwiddie was a fringe NBA player. He was bouncing in and out of the NBA in the G League. Then the next season, he becomes you know an NBA starter and puts up solid numbers. And he didn't win. Oladipo got the nod from going from a starter to an All Star player. I think you can make the argument for D'Angelo Russell. I think it's going to be a lot how he finishes the season. You know, I think the real the real key factor is like D'Lo does a lot for his team. He's the number one guy. He's the one, you know, creating all the offense for other players, making his teammates better. Where Siakam is a great player, you know, a two-way player, brings a ton of energy, a lot of versatility, super efficient, but he would never be the number one player on a team. He's not creating for others. He's not necessarily making them better. So I think there is a fair argument, but most likely Siakam's going to win. Yeah, and and I mean, I think both of them will will be fighting out for it. it. Seems to me like you know Victor Oladipo last season was the sort of runaway contender. Pascal Siakam seems to be that, but I wouldn't be surprised if D'Angelo Russell gets votes. And he himself, you know, and I quote, "Watch, put it on record, I'm going to win it." So I love the, the the underrated confidence and swagger that this kid has. That is combined with the not necessarily a new level of maturity, but just, you know, he's just growing up and he's got a great team around him and some and some great mentors. So um, we're, we're all in on D'Lo. Uh, I need to be a bit more in on him, apparently. <laughs> but, um, you know, if there are other contenders out there, you know, I don't know. You know, De'Aaron Fox has probably had, has a similar sort of case, but um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally rooting for him, even though I don't necessarily think he will win it. Yeah, no, 100%. I think he would have to have some more magical games. You know, if the Nets were to have a really good road trip, you know, against all these Western Conference teams, and he were to put up a couple 30 or 40 point games, that might be enough to sway the voters at the right time, especially if Siakam kind of falls under the radar with Kawhi and Kyle Lowry having big games along those lines. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Definitely. Anyone, any last thoughts, Nick, before we uh, finish off this one? Just a uh, quick schedule notes. You know, we brought up two shows ago, 15 games left, 35 days. You know, the Nets do have the toughest remaining schedule, but on a positive side, you know, Charlotte, Orlando, and Miami, they all play each other in that division. So there's going to be nights where the Nets are going to be in a win-win situation like they were tonight. You know, Miami beat Charlotte, so now Charlotte goes down. So if the Nets can kind of just keep getting a couple wins here and there, and these teams are going to kind of battle each other out of the playoffs. Yeah, and that's what we're sort of talking about. It's going to be, you know, the teams around us is going to affect us and our standing in a really big way as well. But as long as we keep doing the right things, focus on our form, and that's obviously the mentality anyway. So um, we take it game by game. I, I think I said that at least once every <laughs> podcast. But, it's um, true. You got to do it game by game, especially for a young team. I think there's a little bit to build off going from Dallas, going to, to Cleveland. Like the games are completely different. And, you know, Atlanta's going to be another test in a different way. And then, like you pointed out earlier, like Detroit, that Detroit game is going to be huge. That's going to be the closest thing to a, a Nets playoff game that we've seen in years. 
Oh, it's going to be insane. Uh, it's going to be absolutely insane. And, you know, Detroit are playing some great basketball. You know, we've sort of, they've sort of taken over our role in a weird way as being the real form underrated team of the East with Andre Drummond taking his game to a new level, Reggie Jackson playing some really good basketball and Blake Griffin, you know, just doing Blake Griffin things. So uh, it's going to be a massive matchup and there's going to be plenty of those, you know, in the final sort of 10, 15 remaining games, Nick. But um, man, uh, I'm just excited for Nets basketball. Every single game has so much riding on it. Exactly. And I'm just really excited to watch this trio guards in Karis LeVert, you know, D'Angelo and Spencer. Just really excited to see how they can kind of gel and, you know, put it all together before the playoffs come. And I think that could make the Nets more dangerous moving forward if they do land in the postseason. Yeah, it really could. It really could. And, and it's we don't know what the ceiling is even this season for this team yet because we haven't seen it all put together. That Dallas Mavericks game was somewhat of a glimpse, but against a lesser competition. You want to see them put it up against, you know, hopefully a Detroit or one of those other teams where the Nets sort of took them down and sort of kick-started their run, be it a Toronto or, or, or the likes of those sort of teams. So um, tantalizing things are ahead for, the, for us and Nets fans. Exactly. As always, thank everybody for listening. Always fun talking Nets with you, Jack. Happy to have you back. And check us out, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. And another quick shout-out, OTG Basketball, for that giveaway. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.